Amen. Thank you, Danny. What a blessing. And good morning and welcome to church. I am not Pastor Dave. He is away this weekend. It wasn't because the Dodgers lost so badly uh, last night, but uh, he's, uh, he's in Florida this morning and sharing with the church out there and ministering to their staff. And so be praying for him. He's got some important things that he's doing. And it just uh, it's my pleasure and honor and blessing to be able to fill in for him and to get to share and teach and dive into uh, a really interesting series, the series called Verses for Life. These are verses where we are looking at some of the most impacting and memorable Bible verses in in the entire scriptures. I mean, for me, I've been kind of taking the challenge each week, and I write down the verses we've been going through. I even did it for this week's. I put them on a little note card and keep it with me all week long and just kind of try to really commit these things to memory. It's something that Pastor Dave and I believe really will impact and shape your lives as you you commit more scripture to memory. And uh, this morning's This morning's is an important verse because it was a topic that Jesus dealt with often. It was a topic I kind of think of when I think of how I I observe life sometimes. Have you ever noticed that in most most cases, most of life, we are spending our time trying to kind of make it? You know, that idea of making it in life, we have terms like keeping up with the Joneses or climbing the ladder of success, right? But there seems to be kind of a principle at work in life where Wherever it is, whatever stage, especially when you're younger, you start at the bottom of something and you pay your dues and you work your way up, right? Whether it's, maybe it's someone who grew up without money and you thought, I'm going to make it and you work really hard and and you kind of look at success in life as being, hey, you know what? I came out of what I was in. I was in a bad spot. I was in a hard place. I was doing difficult things and now I made it financially, Right? Or in a sport, we, those, we love a Rudy, right? The sports stories of someone who, who came from nothing, didn't have all the skills and traits, but worked hard and worked their way up and made it. You see this in ministries. You see this in jobs, right? If, if you can recall your first job, I know my first job, I grew up here in Rancho Santa Margarita, and there was a local Togo's you know, sandwich place, the place that's way better than Subway. And uh, Togo's, I, my first job was at a Togo's, and I started at the bottom. I got a job there as a sandwich maker at the ripe old age of 15 years old, making $4.75 an hour. And um, my title was, I was so excited, I came home from orientation to show my mom my badge. It said, Justin Sandwich Maker, you know, from Togo's. And I was like, I'm going to do it, mom. I'm going to, she's like, wow, you're a real success, son. You know, like, you're going to make sandwiches. And and so I went into work my first day expecting to make sandwiches, right, and get the tip jar. I'm 15 years old, so tips were cool. Any any money was cool for me, even $4.75. And the first thing my manager does, he goes, hey, thanks for coming in today, Justin. Let me show you what you're going to be doing. And I'm thinking, okay, where's my knife? Where's all my stuff? Like, where's my station? And he goes, here you go. And he hands me a plunger and a toilet scrubber. And he goes, look, I want you to know you're the lowest man here. And for the first half of every shift you work, you're going to spend the entire half of that shift in the bathroom cleaning, scrubbing. The grout lines are going to be immaculate. Everything's going to be phenomenal. And he goes, and then let me show you your second part of your job. And I thought, okay, now I'm going to make sandwiches. Kind of gross. After cleaning the toilets, I'm going to make your sandwich. But I go, here's the second part of my job. He goes, no, you're not making sandwiches. You're going to be back here. And he takes me to the back and he goes, you're going to be cleaning dishes. And he hands me the scrubber and the brush. And he goes, look, all you're doing at this place is scrubbing and cleaning. You're at the bottom. And I don't know if you ever remember your first job, or maybe you've had a job like that, where you just started so low, you're like, man, I will do anything to climb this ladder and get out of here. 
And I did. The greatest day was when, after scrubbing toilets and dishes for so long, was when the guy above me quit, because he hated Togo's, it was sucked to work there. Um, the guy above me quit, and so I got promoted, and the, guy, the new kid gets hired, and, and it was the funniest thing to watch him get his scrubber and his you know, dishwashing thing, and it was like, I made it. I'm now a sandwich maker making tips, right? And within a few years, by, by the time I was 16, I actually made it as manager. How's that for a horrible hiring decision? If you want any advice, never hire a 16-year-old to run your business. I was manager. I was hiring and firing people. I was, I was the worst person you could put there. It was power, though. I had made it as far as a 16-year-old goes, right? I had made it to the top of that chain. It seems like a lot of life, if you kind of reflect on it, it's kind of spent in some sense doing just that, kind of working our way up. And you might not think, oh, I work my way up, but I mean, we all want kind of the honor and prestige of being recognized for things we do. We all don't want to be looked at as kind of the lowest person on the totem pole, right? We want to kind of, kind of make it out of the bottom, out of the basement, right? And as we look at climbing the ladder, I bring that up because... In some sense, Jesus takes that idea, and he constantly does does this in his ministry, and he says, I've got a different version of success than what this world has for you. I know from birth you've been told, work your way up, work hard, get to the top, leave the bottom, keep going, strive for success and greatness, but I've got a completely different definition of success and greatness. And in Mark chapter 10, if you guys want to turn there this morning, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus begins to go through this lesson again with the disciples, and he's got to put a new twist on it. Mark chapter 10 kind of marks um, the turn in Jesus' ministry where he's now heading towards Jerusalem for his final week on earth. He's been with the, the disciples, the boys, for years now, and it's, it's coming to this time where he's now traveling towards Jerusalem, He's about to go into that Passion Week where he then goes and gives his life on the cross for you and for me and for everyone. But as he's traveling, as they're traveling and making their way to Jerusalem, a situation arises with the disciples. It's a situation that involves primarily James and John. These guys were two of the inner disciples of Jesus. They were called the Sons of Thunder. I love that for a nickname. These guys were loud, they were bold, they were kind of boisterous guys and and, and, and. Mark kind of records this story where they, they broke away from the group. You see, James and John, as well as Peter, were part of the disciples, but they were also kind of what we call the inner group of disciples. These three guys Jesus had taken aside to kind of share extra important or deeper things that sometimes were happening in his ministry. At one point in Mark chapter 5, they get this, this glimpse. They're the only three that were there of Jesus resurrecting this young girl from the, from the dead. At one point over in Matthew chapter 17, we're told that Jesus takes them up to the, high, the top of a high mountain and he transfigures before them, right? And it's like they had some inside access, access some special events that these guys got to see. And so James and John, they, they kind of ditch Peter. <laughs> they break off from their little three amigos, the trio, and they, they go on their own and they come to Jesus and they find him alone and they go, Jesus, we got a question for you, man. Will you give us whatever we're asking? You're always telling us to ask for things. Will you give us whatever we're asking? Jesus looks at him, and I'm sure he's like any parent would look at their kids like, oh, what do you want? You know, what's the ask here? And they go, would you grant for us, one of us to sit on your right hand and one of us to sit on your left hand, when you come in glory in your kingdom? It's a big ask there. They're going, look, we know 
you're the man. We've seen you transfigured. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you raise people from the dead. We know that you are as high up ultimate as it gets. You're the one who's coming in glory. But hey, check it out. We notice there's a few empty seats next to you. We happen to be two free guys for all eternity. Like, what do you say that you make me your left hand and my brother your right hand and we sons of thunder next to Jesus, the, you know, the, 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 the king of all kings? That's a great combo, right? I know we're low on the totem pole, but how do we get up there? And Jesus looks at him and he goes, man, you guys don't know what you're asking. This is, this is something that you're not able to drink from the cup that I have to drink from. You're not able to be baptized with the baptism that I need to be baptized with. He's saying, listen, something's coming that is so big and so unique and different. You guys aren't qualified to handle this. And they go, sure we are. And he goes, no, either way, it's not my spot to give. It's for my father. And he looks at him, and, and, and at this point... Somehow in the story in Mark chapter 10 and verses 35 through 44, somehow the rest of the disciples catch up and they start arguing. They find out, hey, look, these two guys, what a bunch of jerks. They're like leaving us in the dust, going for that promotion on their own. I thought we were in it together. You know, we're the dream team here. And all of a sudden, these two guys, they're branching out and they're asking for the top spots. They're trying to get ahead of us. And so now everybody begins to argue. Everybody begins to get upset, right? It's like kids, you know, and they're arguing over who gets the best toy. And it's like, here we go. These disciples are all fighting with each other. And Jesus looks at them all. He goes, guys, guys, you're missing it. And he begins to share a lesson that, by the way, and if you're in the, the, the small group or discussion questions that we go through each week, you're going to see all these different scriptures where he does this. But Jesus has continually in his ministry tried to get these guys to understand this lesson. And he goes, look, you guys are missing it. You're missing what's really important here. He goes, it's the lords of the Gentiles, the leaders of the Gentiles outside of us that take their positions and titles and hold it over one another. He goes, but if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you need to be a servant. And if you want to be first, you need to be a slave of all. And he's going, guys, you haven't gotten this This message I've been trying to give you, I've been trying to teach you this, but here we are again. Same situation, same thing. Because for these guys, this is a hard thing to get, and it's just like it is for us. It's easy to get up here in our head, but but when it wrestles with what we've grown up with in our regular life, that success means we go to the top. Success means other people look at us and go, ooh, you've got it all together. Success and greatness means other people want to be us want to have what we have, do what we do, get the position and title that we have. He goes, look, if you're living by that standard, you're missing completely everything. So in verse 45, he goes, I want to give you something greater to look at. I want to give you a better model than what this world has. And that's our scripture verse for for life that, that we're going to look at this morning. So he says this in verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I love that. It's so simple. It's so easy. Yet at the same time, it's so deep and so rich. He goes, listen, you want to know what it is that I'm all about? You want to know what it is that makes me great? It's not just the title I have. He goes, for even the son of man. This is such a cool way he starts this. It's like, if, any, if, if, if ever there was anyone 
who, didn't who shouldn't have to serve others, who deserved to have everyone underneath him serving him, it's the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, that's a title Jesus loved to, to take on himself. It's probably, in, in all the Gospels, perhaps his most favorite title that he would call himself by. There would be Son of God, King of Kings, but he would always refer to himself as the Son of Man, the most common one. Now, what does that mean? Well, on one hand, it's an association he makes with humanity. Listen, I am Son of Man. I am one of you. But in a greater scale of things, and the way they would have heard this is, listen, that was a prophetic title. That wasn't just a, an association with us as people. That was a prophetic title. Daniel talked about this over in Daniel chapter 7. And he said, for even, or, or for the Son of Man will come with the clouds. And he said, let me read it to you. Daniel looks forward, sees his vision. He says, the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven before the Ancient of Days. God, the Ancient of Days. And it's like this vision that Daniel looks forward in Daniel chapter 7. And he sees the Son of Man coming with the clouds behind him. It's like all heaven backing him here. And it says that the Ancient of Days will then give him glory and a kingdom. And that every knee will bow to him and worship. And it's this idea, there is coming a ruler. There is coming a leader that is greater than any other ruler or leader or person or magistrate that this world would ever have. Greater than any president or prime minister or Caesar or dictator. Any other power source out there is this son of man figure. And when Jesus came, he says, look, I... I want you guys to understand who I am. That's me. I'm the one coming in glory. As, as these James and John, they saw him transfigured. It said his face shone brighter than the sun. His clothes were, were as bright as light. I don't know how descriptive that, that is, but it's like, I can't look at this guy. He's got so much glory. And they had this picture, this glimpse of the Son of Man, the one with all glory and honor and power. And he goes, look, that's me, yes. But I want you to understand something about that. And he says, for even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. It's like if anyone should have ever been, had people underneath him doing whatever he wants, snapping his finger, having anything he wanted done, it should have been him. You want some contrast real quick? In our, in our office of the president you know, the commander-in-chief of our country, he has about 4,000 people working, in some sense, underneath him. It's, it's a budget of roughly $400 million a year. And if you want to go individually for our president, he has 560 individual people who serve directly under him, a, a budget of about $50 million per year. 560 direct people to check out what you need to wear, where you need to go, what you need to eat, how you need to work out, who's going to drive you where. I mean, anything and everything that our president needs to do, our commander-in-chief, the leader of, of, of perhaps one of the most powerful nations in the world, the greatest leader, anything he needs, he has 560 direct people that is at, at a whim to do anything. Protect him, provide him security, drive him, fly him, whatever it is, get him a burger. And it's like, this is our president. And if you think it's just this president, it's every president before him too. 
People serving under people of power. This is our world. You look at movie stars and Hollywood stars. You look at generals. You look at anyone in this world, and it's like they've got security. They've got handlers. They've got you know, PR people who are controlling their narrative and their story, whose job is to post about them. They've got all kinds of things, and it's like then comes the son of man. <laughs> The one whom everything belongs to. The one whom every knee would bow to. And he says, listen, I want you to get this. Don't miss this about me. I didn't come to make you guys my servants and slaves. I didn't come to command by force. You want to know why I came? I came to serve. It reveals so much that I think sometimes we miss about the nature of Jesus. So much. I mean, in some sense... It's what makes him greater than anything else. You see, Jesus doesn't claim this power, this authority, this position. He doesn't claim it so that he could subdue us, make us do what he wants. But he assumes this, and this is so important, he assumes this power and authority. It's given to him, not for his sake, but for our sake, he says. He goes, I came not to be served, but to serve you. And this is so, so vital in our understanding of Jesus and, and of Christianity as a whole. You have to start with this. That look, Christianity, this is not a religion built around us coming to God and trying to make things up to God. Us coming to God and trying to make him happy. This is a religion where God came to us and he said, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do first for you what you could not do for yourself. Right? I mean... If I'm God, and I'm stepping into humanity, heck, as a parent, when I step into my kid's dirty room, and I look in there, and I see the mess, and I'm like, Connor, Scarlett, get in here. Didn't I tell you to clean this up? Didn't I tell you to do better? Didn't I tell you, why do we have milk out from three weeks ago? Why do we have this, that, and the other? It's like, the thing most parents do is you immediately begin to tell people what to do, because they don't get it. You think God stepping into our midst and our reality would be like, you know what, guys, you really need to get it together. You really need to be more religious, more moral, more ethical. You really need to do a lot more for me. You're messed up. But God stepped into our dirty room, what Jesus is saying. God stepped into our messed up reality, and he goes, look, I'm not here to rub your noses in this. (laughs) The law can do that just fine. I'm not here to point out every flaw that you have. You know what I'm here to do? I'm here to clean it up. I'm here to fix this mess. I'm here to pick up the toys. I'm here to pick up the mess. I'm here to take out the dishes. I'm here to start at the bottom, not at the top. And there at the bottom is where you're going to find me working away. It's so vital for us to, to kind of understand this, that God's perspective on us isn't get more religion, get better, get this, get that. He's saying, look, if you want to understand where Christianity starts, where following Jesus starts, it starts first with the notion that he came to serve you, not the other way around. And when we don't understand that, man, we don't understand that even in the midst of our messed up lives, when we sin, when we're undeserving, when we're making all the wrong choices, we're doing that under a God who looks at us and says, it's okay, I'm here to pick you up. It's okay, I'm here to serve you. Yeah, of course I want you to do better because I don't want you to get hurt, but at the end of the day, look, I am here to fill a need. Not to tell you that you're so broken and you're so beat up. You know that on your own. I'm here to make your life better. 
such a special word when it uses that word for serving there. It's this word, we get our word for deacon from it. And it was the, the word they used of people who would wait tables in their day. It was like people at the lowest rung, they, they would also work in the king's court and do all the chores for, for royalty or for important people. It was like, these were people not high on the, the social ladder. These were people not respected or prestigious. These were people at the base, not working their way up. There was no other, there was no other job for them. And their skill set was making the lives of the people they serve better. It's literally the definition of a servant, to make the life of someone else better. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to understand God in the flesh, if you want to understand the Son of Man, the ultimate ruler of all mankind, then understand my purpose was to serve first. It was others, not me. Now, I'm like, I hear this, and kind of like, kind of like James and John, I, I, it's easy for me to see the glorious king, the amazing God who deserves all wonder and praise, but it's harder for me to see how great Jesus is or how great I am if I'm just waiting tables for people. I mean, I don't often have a waiter come up to my table and just you know, drop off my soup and go, oh man, you are so great. You are the greatest of all great waiters. You know, you are the, you're like, what does that even mean? You know, that I'm going to be great. I'm going to be successful in life. He's flipping this upside down. If I do the really low base things, it's like, Jesus, couldn't you just, couldn't you just flex your might? And wouldn't that be greatness too? Couldn't you just command everyone? Couldn't you just take out all conflicts in the Middle East? Couldn't you just take out the Roman Empire and all the abusive power structures around you? Couldn't you just topple everything down? And just be the great tyrant ruler that is God. Of course, you would be just and right in doing so. You're God. Couldn't you just flex your muscles? And wouldn't we look at that and go, that's greatness too. But if you look at greatness that way, you miss the second part of this verse. And this is what made Jesus so great. He goes, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. It's like he's talking to these guys here, these arguing disciples who are all wanting to be important, respected, honored. And he's going, you want to understand the principle I'm trying to get out here? You want to get what really makes me great? It's not just my title. You want to know what makes my title great? You want to know what makes me great as God? It's that I am willing to serve and give my life to pay a ransom you couldn't pay for your own. What is he referring to? Ultimately, it's the gospel here. He's saying, look, the good news that I would go and I would die for you on that cross. That you would have everlasting life because I died for you and and, and I entered into death on your behalf. I paid that punishment on the cross. I paid for a sin and a debt that you had towards God that you couldn't pay for on your own. And I rose again. And that word, it's so vital there, that word for ransom as he's describing this. That word for ransom is a a cool word. It meant to, it was used of, of people when they paid off and paid for the freedom of slaves in their time and their day. It was also used when they paid off their debts paid off collections or paid off a crime that they had committed. It was like this thing of guilt, of slavery, of of, of freedom was now insured because someone had paid for something. And he's saying, look, you want to know what I'm all about is that I'll give my life that you might be set free from something that you 
most of, the, most of you didn't even know that you had this debt to God. That in your sins, in your disobedience to God, in your going your own way, in the, the things that you've done that God will look at and go, look, that's not me. That lie, that dishonesty, that selfishness. He says, look, you had that debt built up and I will go and I will give my life and I will pay for that, that you might now be made alive towards God. That you might now experience the life that God designed you for and built you for, that you would be free from the sins that rob you of life. And that you might now experience something you could never earn or do or deserve on your own. And he's saying, look, this is what's so important about it. Not just the gospel, but look, you want to understand what serving is all about, what makes it great? He goes, I came to serve and I gave my life. Those two things, serving and your life, they go together. Saying, I gave my life for your sins. I gave my life to pay a debt that you had, a ransom, but I served, so I gave my life. What he's saying is there is something so much deeper there than that I just did something that I was obliged to do. He's saying there's something so much deeper there than I just did what was required of me. It's like that word for life there, he could have used multiple words for life. Bios in the Greek is the word bios. It's bi- we get biology from it. It's like this is his life, his biological life. It's like, he's like, I could have gone and been like a bug, squashed and gone. Right? No meaning behind it. It was just life was exchanged. Nope, that's not the word he used. He could have used the word Zoe, which was a word that's kind of later on used by Jesus for everlasting life, this spiritual connection with God. I could have used this life that God gives. And he's like, nope, that's not it. Something deeper than that. He uses the word suke there, which we get our word psyche or psychology from. Also translated many times as soul. He goes, I gave, I didn't just give the, the cheap, you know, the, the gift card version of a gift for you guys on the cross there, the AMPM, you know, you can go get some gas and a Slurpee with this gift card kind of a thing. He's like, no, I hunted down and gave the very best of what I had to you. My soul. Your soul is where your, your character, you're the root of your emotion and feeling. It's the part of you that goes on beyond this life. It's who you are and, and register with for all eternity. And he's saying the very core of me, my very self, is what I gave on that cross that you might find freedom, that you might find everlasting life. He's saying, you want to know what's so great about serving? Is that I would go to a cross, I would give the very greatest of what I have for you, and that you might have something you could never have without it. He goes, that's greatness. That's what lasts I could have made you all bow down to me. I could have made you all do what I said. I could have waved my hand over this world and every tyrant and evil person would be gone, but I would have never taken care of what you truly needed at the deepest part and core of who you are. I would have never taken care of what you truly had to have if you were to live an everlasting life. And as he's saying this to these disciples, he's seeing them argue over respect and honor and and working their way up the ladder, and he's going, guys... You're missing it. That's not greatness. That's not success. That's not what this is all about. You want to get it? Understand this. Be a servant. Be someone that gives on behalf of others and and give from who you are. Don't just go, oh, well, I wrote the check. 
There we go. Oh, well, I gave the don- you know, dollar for the donuts at the sale. Ah, there we go. Oh, well, I just did this. Oh, well, I brought the, you know, it's like whatever you're called to do, he goes, do it with the very core of who you are. Give from yourself. He goes, in the end, that's what's going to matter. I mean, isn't it true that in the end, when you think of what really matters, when you think of who's blessed your life, who's been important to you, isn't it the people that gave of themselves to you? The people that truly cared about you and, and, and took you in or, or blessed you or talked with you or encouraged you when no one else would. It's like someone who, who went beyond just that shallow step of just, well, they were nice sometimes. And Jesus is saying, look, this is the core of greatness. This is the core of success in my kingdom. And I want you guys to understand this because if you don't get this, man, power, honor, the struggle for all of that, there's no end to it. There's no end to the desire of of people wanting people to like their posts, of people wanting people to take up their opinion, of people wanting people to to view all the things that they have and appreciate them and and the amount of damaged emotions and feelings because people aren't aren't, appreciated and valued like they should be. And he goes, listen, this world is never going to do it. This world's never going to do it the right way and everyone's going to be clawing and and, and hungering to get to the top and when they get there, they're going to realize, look, there's another ladder to climb. It's empty. But the true success that lasts, he says, is success that comes from people who are willing to lay out their lives for others, to give from themselves. It's the very core of what love is. Love is the ability to give and to expect nothing in return. To say to another, look, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to bless you. And it's not because you have something to give back to me. It's not because you deserve it and earned it always. It's because I'm willing to serve you. I mean, just this week, I, was, I didn't have a chance when I was younger to grow up under the teaching ministry of Pastor Chuck Smith. But this week, I was noticing online a bunch of articles were being posted. It's been 10 years since he died. If you don't know who Pastor Chuck Smith is, maybe you're newer to the church, it's like he was a figure in a monumental movement that God had in the 60s and 70s that kind of lasted beyond where so many people were impacted by his teaching and his ministry and hundreds of churches were planted and millions of people were, were touched by God. Phenomenal leader and figure. And this week I thought, you know what? I've been to Bible studies with Pastor Chuck and I'd heard him teach, but I never had a personal interaction with him. I thought, you know what? I want to just read all these articles that people were posting and writing about him, including Pastor Dave. He wrote a really cool article on calvarychapel.com's website. And so I was reading, you know, Pastor Rick Warren and Kathy Gilbert and all these people wrote these articles. And I noticed two things as I was reading articles about Pastor Chuck, just kind of from like an outsider's perspective. Maybe you guys, some of you knew him and you had this insider's perspective, but the first thing was this, and so many people mentioned this, as a leader, he didn't care what other people thought of him. He didn't care about upholding his image and making other people think. He never had a promo team or people out there promoting him or making him look good. He never had, as Dave, Pastor Dave called him, he was a nonconformist. He just did things in a different way. That was pretty cool to see a leader like that, but the second thing that was so cool as I looked at this was that almost everyone who had a personal interaction with him, whether they were super close or some distant figure, they always felt like they had his time. They always felt like he cared about them personally. They always felt like he was a servant, right? A bunch of people wrote about how he used to drive around in his golf cart and pick up trash at the church. And it's like, here he is, the leader of a mega movement of God used by, you know, million, touching millions of lives. And it's like, here he is picking up trash in the parking lot. 
And it's like, those are the things that stick with people? Not the fact that he was so powerful and important. Not the fact that he was so amazing. And it was like that he faithfully taught and was serving people through teaching God's word and that he just, he showed up and cared about people. It's like, wouldn't you want that to be your legacy too? More so than everyone appreciated you. Everyone valued you. Everyone thought you were so amazing and so awesome. Everyone thought you were so pretty and so great. And so go on down the list of all the famous people we have out here. And it's like they're chasing this ladder that in the end leads them nowhere. What, so you can get your name on a building? What, so you can have people praise you that will one day laugh when you fall? And Jesus goes, look, that's not my system. I want to use people that are willing to just say, you know what, God? I'll serve. I'll do. Not because I have to. Not because I'm trying to make it up to you and please you, God. Not, that's not the prerogative at all. It's like we see who you are. And if we're going to say we follow you, then it should be the direction we're heading in. That's how you treat me, God. That's how you gave your life for me, and that's how you continue to meet me and be faithful to me because of that. It's like, that's what you do in my life, so how can I do that in the lives of people around me? How can I be someone and, and start in your own sphere? Look at your own people that God has put around you with your family, with your kids, with your, with your spouse, your grandkids, whoever it is, and, and ask yourself, look, am I not just functioning as my, in my role as a leader here, as a parent, as a grandparent, but am I really setting that aside and saying, you know what? I want people to know how much I love them by what I'm willing to do for them, by how I serve my spouse, by how I, I don't know, wash their car when they don't deserve it, how I, you know, make breakfast for the kids or play or, or, or how I take care of the grandkids or how I go on down the list. And it's like, then you expand that to the people God's put around you and your neighbors and your coworkers and, and all these people. And instead of just asking people how they're doing, ask them, hey, what do you need in life? <laughs> what can I help with? And you're like, yeah, Justin, what if I do that and everyone wants something from me? Good. You're becoming great. <laughs> I know our lives will get busy, but won't they be busy with the right things? Instead of being busy on ourselves, it's like, oh, Justin, I've got to watch some TV shows in the evening. I've got books I've got to read. I've got things I've got to do for me, and I need my time to go to the movies. And it's like, but, but what if that time was better spent asking someone, hey, you know, can I make you dinner tonight? Hey, can I bring you something? Hey, you know, just made this for you or whatever it is. I don't know. God will put it on your heart. I look at us in here and I think, how different would our world be? How differently would people look at Christians if that was what characterized us? Not all our arguments, not all the lines we draw on the sand. Well, I don't want to do anything for them. They're, they're this political party. I don't want to do anything that for them. They're, I mean, do you see what they wear? Do you hear what they say or how they talk? And it's like, yeah, God heard you and saw you. And he literally set aside his life for you. So he goes, follow that example. Look at the people around you. Understand I love them so much that I died for them too. And they're never going to truly see who I am until they understand and see that in my people. So ask yourself, what am I doing? How can I serve? I think if that was the character or nature in my life, things would look drastically different in how I treated people. I thought about it yesterday as I was going to pull into a parking spot and go get dinner, and someone just 
he like literally skidded into the spot in front of me. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? You know? And at first, I'm like, you know what? That's my spot, jerk. You know, so the window's about to roll down. I'm about to just you know, like flex and roll down the window and hope that he's not a bigger guy than me. And I thought, you know what? Would a servant really care if someone cut him off? No. Servants don't look at it as everyone owes them or has to give them what is deserved to them. So I was like, oh, well. Coincidentally, the next spot opened up even closer to Cafe Rio, and so I got a better spot. But, like, you know, sometimes that's how it works. It's like you're about to freak out, and God goes, hey, I got you covered. It's like, let me lift you up. Let me do the lifting in life. You don't need to do it yourself. You don't need to be dependent on the praises of people. Acknowledge me. Trust me. Follow me. Be a servant. I wasn't a servant in that I gave them that parking spot. They took it from me. But just saying, sometimes you just have to look at things with a different mentality and say, you know what, God? He got this. I don't need to be first. I don't need to get what's owed to me. I don't need to get what's due to me. You got this in the end. And the Lord says, that's exactly the person I want to use. And I'll elevate you, and I'll use you, and I'll bring you to the positions you need to be at, but as I elevate you and I bring you up higher, it's not so that you can have more power and authority, it's so that you can serve more people. So learn to do that in life as he's talking to these disciples. He's saying, learn to do that and we're going to be better off. But if you don't get this, man, it's going to get ugly. Power will be abused. People will be hurt. And our lives will never be really great. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and just simply follow him. Follow his lead serve others, and enjoy the the greatness that he brings into your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so very much that before we could ever say we want to do something for you or do something for others, you came to us and you said, look, I'm here to serve you and to love you, to do something for you you can never do for yourselves. God, we are so in awe and wonder of the Son of Man, the the leader of all leaders who would come to lay out his life for ours. We don't deserve that. We couldn't earn it. And thank you that you love us like that. Help us to take that model in our lives and to live it out. In every area, in every relationship, in every opportunity you give us to, to not take the time to make ourselves bigger, but to take the time to make others greater in our lives. To put them over us. We thank you for the opportunities you're going to give us, and we pray that you're with us in this week ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.